non-finite consciousness and so on. And that coupled with a kind of denial of physical existence. And the Buddha could do that. Wasn't he couldn't do it, he couldn't do it. But he said, Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't go any further than that. And the fact that there is a further than that, or even could be a further than that, is a sign of this person's profound uh, intelligence. Because I'm, I'm sure most of us would be quite happy with boundless consciousness. <laughs> Non-finite space and so on. But he said, no, no. Because you come back to this. You haven't resolved this fact of, of birth. But maybe, rather than going out, if we go in to the body and get it to calm the mind and also develop insight into this experience that we all have. Maybe the fact that this very natural, obvious experience is a way of awakening. Which is, you know, very phenomenal really. Because most religions, you always have to add something to it, some belief, God, salvation, justice, purpose, you know. No, no. Put all the mental stuff aside, all the psychological stuff aside, and just try to come into what's naturally here, but in a very sensitive and exploring way. Um, and then, as we see in the Satipatthana, in fact, many suttas, the Buddha uh, encouraged a very thorough exploration of this bodily experience. If we look at the four Satipatthana, they mentioned, or these places where mindfulness should be carefully established, body, and feeling, and then citta, heart-mind, the effective mind, and then dhammas, phenomena that are pertinent to the process of purification. But begins with body, and maybe this is because of something pretty significant about this. Why not start with the mind, if we're looking to liberate the mind? Bodies don't get liberated, they die. So why start with the body? Well, because the body trains the mind. Mind by itself runs off, gets inflated, gets excited, cascades into views and opinions, um, becomes a, a world of its own right, full of runaway passions, notions, and so forth. So bringing attention to the body, first of all, shifts. One's attention is not going into thoughts, ideas, emotions, but just into something different. And so, we basically, step one in meditation, isn't it? In meditation, or mind cultivation, whatever one is cultivated in terms of sila, recollections and so forth, what we call meditation or practicing mindfulness begins most pertinently with this coming into this embodiment experience 
We sit, we stand, we walk. We don't talk a lot. We don't watch stuff. We don't do business. We, because we cut all that into this. Because it gives you a sense, for a start, just the sense of something that shifts away from mental stuff. We can then review mental phenomena because we've got a place to witness it from. It gives us a sense of something here. We're located. And there's a sense, simple thing, not complicated feeling of um, what a body is experienced as. And then with that, you know, at a very fundamental level, you're sensing your own body and you can sense these spinning wheels of thought, desires, wishes, interests, inclinations. But then there's this. There's this. And it's rather like a, a post that you tether the senses and the outpulls too, so they can't go very far because you're going back to this, 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 training it that way. It also means that the uh, uh, mode of attention is uh, changed. You see, uh, thoughts and mental stuff rushes, flickers very fast. Nothing changes so quickly as a chitta. Uh, body, mm. it's changing, it's subtly changing, but it's a much more steady reference, so your attention has to linger, slow down. It doesn't proliferate. It just sits there. It doesn't make anything, do anything. When you sit still, you can move it around, but you try and get your mind to stay still for three seconds. A constant thought, you've got to keep bringing it back body, yeah, you can feel ripples of sensation and feeling, but the basic reference remains pretty steady. So it's giving something for attention to steady on. And attention, attention is one of the prime feeders of the mind, not the only one, but prime channel. What we attend to, what we give attention to, very much flavours what our mind gets occupied with, flavours it, colours it, tones it. So something simple, non-proliferating, steady, here all the time, your attention goes into that, gets fed by that, there's no future, there's no past, there's no should do, there's no ought to do, it's just this. So it shifts that. This is not especially refined. You know, the Buddha said you can do this walking, standing, sitting, climbing, whatever you're doing, you can be aware of this, this. You may like it or dislike it, but it's just this. 
And in this uh, sutta, there's many cases, he starts off just saying, you can also feel this rhythmic breathing in and breathing out experience, something flowing through. It's not, a, not the breath as such, he doesn't say the word breath, he doesn't say the word nose, he doesn't say the word belly, he just says experience breathing. This, what happens when we breathing occurs, this kind of flexing of bodily muscles in the belly, chest, drawing in and then breathing out, similar flexion, there is an energy that's rhythmic and steady. Breathing in always feels brightening, enlarging, breathing out, subsiding, cooling, dis- dissolving. And so this is a very suitable thing for the mind to attend to because then it gets something that's, because it's rhythmic and steady, it's calming, softening. Now we can pick that up much more easy than if you try to sustain your mind attention on just one point, <coughs> which he never, he never told us to do. You know, in fact, in, I haven't found anywhere where it ever says you should be, focus your attention on one point. You have one aim in mind, to steady or calm the mind, purify the mind. There's no particular fixed point, physical point. But there is this rhythm, so the mind is both open, because it's not compressed down to one point. Your attention is moderately extended, but contained. And that's the attention, and it's drinking in. It's no rhythm. The rhythm is uh, helpful, because it's not just calm, it's also refreshing. Breathing in, fright, fresh. Breathe out, let it all go, ending. Begin again, breathing in fresh, completely, take your time, breathing out, let it all go. And uh, extending, so we're not just trying to get to the next breath, it's involuntary, it happens by itself. We don't have to make it happen, everybody breathes, good people, bad people, stupid people, brilliant people, they all breathe in and out. It's involuntary, it's completely anonymous. You don't have to do it. <clears throat> this should be great. It's a sort of relaxation of the mind in certain respects. But also it does require the mind to get interested. Not obsessive or gripping it hard, but interested, studying, going close up. How is this? What is happening here? It encourages double vijaya exploration of phenomena, an enlightenment factor. And it encourages sati, because uh, sati, to bear with something, to stay with something, you stay with it. You stay with an inhalation, you stay with an exhalation. If you do that, your mind calms down. You notice also there's a pause between the two. Neither inhaling, not, not inhaling, not exhaling. Kind of rest state, which is actually 
if you study it, quite bright. It's got energy in it, potent. Listening, attentive. And the breath comes out of that. The out breath empties into that. So, then you know, the mindfulness of this very much affects the mind. Mind is, tends to always want to go forward to the next thing. Um, here, there's no next thing, it's cyclical. In, and let it all go out. Empty. Begin again, fresh. Now, let it all go. It's not linear time. It's, 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 it's cyclical. That too is quite a radical change for the mind. In fact, such a radical change that uh, for many people find they get noticing how much their mind wants to plan, get it right, get to the next one, get on to the next stage. That incredible push forward, which is called becoming, trying to assemble, trying to extend one's life into the future. The push, no, just let it all go. Empty. Quite a profound change, not just in terms of attention, in terms of intention. We're not moving forward, we're not moving back. We're surfing, we're just resting on this point. That's a huge shift in the volitional, intentional quality of mind. <coughs> it's now learning just to stay with. It's like not leading, not dragging behind, but staying with. Beautiful balance there. That balance the mind loses its arrogance, its pushiness, its niggardliness, its fussiness, its obsessiveness, its crankiness, <laughs> yeah, its distractedness, and sati holding it there. <coughs> you know, an interesting. Um, phrase that comes up in this sutta is these two words, ajata bahita. Ajata uh, means here, bahita means there. Well, that's one way you can translate it. Often translated as internally, externally. And so one contemplates breathing internally and externally. And you might wonder, well, how do you do that? So in some commentaries say, well, you, you know, it means internally means yourself and externally means somebody else. This doesn't seem to really make sense because specifically in this sutra it says one goes to an empty place in the root of a tree. So there isn't anybody else there. And I've never noticed anybody contemplating somebody else's breathing. <laughs> I mean, you'd like to get into a fight if you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think? 
if we just go back to it's, it's not a very Ajatabhida is what are you referring to? Well, maybe it means that uh, at least uh, as I have explored this term myself and looked at it as it's used in other contexts here, there maybe the there the here is when you really are just sensing feeling it subjectively it's happening to you and, it, and there is when you're looking at it or thinking about it or witnessing it from the outside you might say an objective reference something like that the sutra doesn't explain this term but it, these, this reference is internal, external uh, ajatabhida used many many times and um, in fact as we go through this satipatthana uh, mindfulness of body it says one contemplates the body as a body ajata or one abides contemplating the body as a body bahita so here, there the body is a body both here and there contemplates the body and its arising factors its ceases vanishing factors Provides contemplating in the body both its arising and vanishing factors. Well, mindfulness that there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. Abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. And then it goes through um, the postures and um, ways of moving a body. Again, internally, externally, uh, or ajata, vahida, and then the bodily parts, ajata, vahida, here, there, and so on. Mm. So we might be looking at that. When walking and bhikkhu understands I'm walking, when standing understands I'm standing, when sitting understands I'm sitting, lying down understands I'm lying down. In this way, he abides contemplating the bodies of body internally, ajata, bahida, externally, bahida. Again, it's his own body, it's everybody else. So, what are we talking about? Well, if you contemplate the body walking, you could probably uh, get the sense of moving through space and these sensations occur into a body. Uh, clearly you can see other people's bodies, you see these shapes and forms. Uh, so being aware of one's body is something you watch, you look at, you, you, you sense it in terms of an external form, you're clunking along. Internally, you probably experience a sense of something warm, moving, agile, perhaps aching here and there. Internal references. Nobody else could see those. Internal. Body ajata. Internal sense of a moving, fluid, warm, cool, changing experience. 
the heat up, external, there. Sense of the body with shoulders and feet and hips walking along. You know, so high, male, female. Whatever it is, just that. Something that we can think, regard or think about or see as an object. When you see it as an object or think about it as an object, you generally refer to this uh, visual appearance. Yeah. And when you experience it directly, internally, there's no visual experience at all. So just feeling, energies, warmth, pressures, space, rhythms, flowing. Whichever one is undertaken, or both of them undertaken, there's just this. There's no, where's the person? Where's the identity? Where's the person? Very clearly, in a, in a group situation, you can see other bodies moving around. You don't know about the warmth, the coolness, whatever that body's experience internally in itself, but you can look at it externally as a shape that the eyes can perceive, and whatever perceptions which are not bodily experiences, they're visual experiences, mental experiences, that you create around that. And we can begin to review a very multifaceted world of experience with different qualities to it. Internal, it's warm, flowing, twinging, agitated, soothed, unbalanced, left side feels heavier than the right side or vice versa. A lot of energy in the head, can't feel the back. A strange, molten creature. Nobody there. Externally, looking out there, see uh, this very familiar human shape, head. And you can infer, you can't see them, you can imagine bones or skin, tissues, sinews, fluids. What's that? Who's that? Where does that arise from? Mental perception. But actually, what's being encouraged, whether internal or external, there's a body. And these factors by which it's experienced arise, pass, shift, change. And in that it's a curious silence of the heart. Which for an average person they don't want. It's creepy, unfamiliar. And they feel lost. They want the noise, the interpretations, the opinions. Oh, I don't like her hair, do. Who's he think he is? 
Which one do you seem to be wearing? It reminds me of so-and-so. Old guy, young woman. What's this? What's that? And what's that? <laughs> and what's all that? Dukkha. <laughs> Agitation. Mental proliferation. Busyness. There's a sense of using this body to empty mental proliferation. experiencing a body like this, standing. Because in fact if one doesn't, what else will happen? You're thinking about something, being and hurrying off somewhere else, resisting being here, resisting going there, wanting to be there, wanting to be here, wondering what other people are doing, how long it's going to take, proliferation. Suffering. There's a weight of the mind. Body. Look around. Shapes. What's the problem? Sounds, what's the problem? Mental proliferation is the problem. Body, no problem. Practice, practice in making it steady. Steadying it, yes, practice. Calming it, make it more comfortable. Oh, yes, practice. Mm. Cultivation. This is quite a wide cultivation. Oh, one point, no obsessive, not restricting. Certainly restricting the mind in some ways, restricting it from creating all kinds of stuff. But walking, standing, sitting, reclining, breathing in, breathing out internal, external, and even more. You want more? Relaxing full awareness and looking ahead, looking away. So not just jumping, but actually turning. We're doing, we don't bother to look at things we don't need to look at. You're just doing that, not letting the eyes get dragged into every side. Awareness, what's worth looking at? How much? What do you want to see? flexing the body so as it's not jumpy or rigid it's soothing moving in a soothing steady way extending the limbs wearing the robes mindfully aware of wearing the robes it's not falling off trailing on the ground rocked up uneven Backs in full awareness of eating, drinking, consuming and tasting, defecating, urinating, walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, keeping silent. That's quite a range. 
mindful aware, all polluting, corrupting, proliferating influences cut them off. What's necessary? What's helpful? What's steady? What's calming? What eliminates the fixed opinions and perceptions of self? Fixed opinions and perceptions of others into something that's much more sensitive, subtle, responsive, insightful, supportive of skillful states. Reviewing the body, soles of the feet, top of the head, skin, body of head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver. So you can go through the whole review of the body. It's all its constituent parts. So it's not really a single thing, is it? It's a, it's a community of really strange beings. Bile, phlegm. I mean, you know, you want to make an identity out of your phlegm. You take it, uh, the parts, you know, nails, teeth, bones. Which one is me? Which one is mine? It's just cool, it's that and it really only becomes a body when it all sticks together and sticking together something that's alive it's not done by a person the body forms itself and all these strange constituent parts none of which one really taken as a <laughs> as oneself, as an identity, or you'd be that attracted to it, certainly not. Where did the person come from? And yet this form is something we take deeply personal. Of the external appearance, agitation, vanity, anxiety, self-criticism, perceptions, Most time it's not even the body, it's just the face. That's the person. And how much goes on there. So just just this cooling effect. Seeing body actually in itself. Internally, feeling the in yourself the weight, the pressures tingling, pulsing, rhythms, breathing, externally, you regard it, you look at it, legs, arms, nails, hair. What's, what's the problem with this? What's the big thing about this? <laughs> Cooling. We notice that the uh, mind is made pretty supple. It's able to adjust what we call the ajanta focus, the vihita focus, and the mixing of the two. 
the arising and vanishing qualities of every phenomenon we bear attention, give attention to. What's the result of this? Empty, cooling, extinguishing passion, extinguishing hatred, extinguishing delusion. Is this what Nibbana is about? Unbinding, disconnecting from these corrupting influences. What's the mind like when it's liberating in such a way? It's open, subtle, sensitive, agile. It's also cool, stable. It doesn't pick things up. Not such searching for something. Although clearly, as one's attention, one's mind becomes more skillful in terms of both its attention span and its intention, its volition, where, how we direct it, how it gets directed, sustaining certain qualities of goodwill, dispassion, that intention, sustaining an intention of inquiry investigation and insight. However, skills the mind cultivates around that, through these forms, through these practices, the body gives us a big entry point because it's multifaceted aspects, easily to discern aspects, Aspects that can be, when wrongly apprehended, extremely volatile. Our physical appearance, our blood, our urine. So we get very, you know, awkward about, fussy about, agitated about, ashamed of, fascinated by the shape of the body, the textures of the skin. Colour of the hair, shape of the hair, style of the hair. Wow. And so absorbed in all that. We're buying endless stuff, skin creams and tooth whiteners and hair doers and slimmers and fatteners and toners and tweakers and tuners and preeners and groomers. <laughs> really, what? what? <laughs> it's obsession and demanding so much, using so much resource for what? For something that's arising and vanishing, not self. And missing the point, we could use this very same thing for cooling, for liberation, for quelling passion, 
just by not by having a particular attitude other than just to pay attention to what actually is happening. It's not dogma, it's like actually pay attention to what's actually happening. Not just walking, you know, walking meditation or walking with mindfulness. You know, you can make a system out of it, if you like. That's fair enough. But what constitutes walking? For most people, walking is a means of getting somewhere. And where we get to is really a mental idea. We're going to the kitchen, we're going to my kuti, we're going to the forest. Uh, it's going to, it's a going to. So the mind gets the going to and then just drag the body along to get there. Might notice a few things on the way, but mostly it's the mental volition. And uh, particularly in urban life, city life, dwelling, so on, the mental volition takes over the body. Hardly notice the body, it's just a blur. Throw some breakfast down it, scuttle out the door, probably get as far as the car, or the bus, or the train, dump it down, look at the phone, look at the paper, you know, then bell over here, get up, rush out the door, next place, have a chat to somebody. Where was the body in all that? Where was walking? And you get so programmed into being out of the body, into the mind, into the volition, into the aim, into the concern of the moment, that we don't really know what walking is. Oh, feet, feet, yeah, feet. That's what you just trot along, feet. No, we can't walk just with your feet. The Buddha never says focus on your feet. Never. Walking. Notice what happens for the body to walk, standing, and you begin to sense something rather exquisite in this. How the body walks. Uh, essentially, you get the overall, and then you begin to recognize the body has like a global sense. It senses the whole thing. This is what gives balance. If you're only aware of part of your body, you can't stand up, you'd fall over. But to be aware of the whole body, and then within that, the body can find through the whole uh, awareness of the whole body, the centre becomes apparent. And this is how I'm balanced. So this, this whole body thing, whole body, without, this is what the body can do. It has a, a, a local, um, focus, say, where directive is going, particular local experience, so the foot or the hand, whatever, and it, it holds that in reference to the whole body. Otherwise, you couldn't walk. You couldn't walk. If you're only aware of one leg, you'd fall over. You've got to be aware of a leg plus the rest of the body that's holding a balance. Not even a foot, a leg, the whole thing. So the whole thing is you stand, 
in a sense, shift your weight to one leg, the weight comes over, one side feels heavy, the other side feels light. Then you get a flexion that occurs around the waist. Foot lifts and a flexion occurs around the waist and the shoulders. So you need an experiment. You stand, lift your foot off, lift your left foot off the ground, and you turn your right shoulder back, you'll find your left foot moves forward by itself because the body is in balance. Lift your left foot, draw your right shoulder back, left foot goes forward. This sense and this rhythmic swing, mild, small swing, the shoulders, the waist, the hips, light, fluid swing, and a similar effect to breathing in and out. It's calming, rhythmic. The weight shifts from one side to the other side. The body turns and flows. It's fluidity of walking form. Internally experienced as a calming, soothing, steadying effect. And it eliminates that mental agitation of trying to get somewhere. There are even if you're you know, walking path, so you're doing meditation, walking path, 20, 30 paces, and your mind starts to look at the end of the path and get there, then it's going to be suffering, stressing. So you keep your eyes really soft and try to feel how a body actually does walking. Turning, flexion, the weight shifts, foot comes down, weight takes over that side, the other side empties out, it's a turning. And this fluid interchange between the light parts, the heavy parts, the movements, gives rise to a particular pleasant rhythm whereby the mind comes down and we're not adding anything, we're just really taking note of how a body walks. And you recognize this kind of training and system comes from pre-urban times. These people were forest dwellers by and large. The Buddha never commuted. There were no cars, no deadlines. People walked a lot. You see the way that people of the land walk. They can walk for hours, day, because the body walks and the fluid flow of the body is a steady, comfortable experience. And nobody's, you know, you don't get there any quicker by wanting to get there. You get there because your body takes you there. What your mind does on the way is kind of irrelevant to the actual getting there. Except what you can do is create plenty of suffering. Or you could drop it. And you can use this practice, just even walking around in the monastery, from your kuti to the dumb hall. Just start walking, drop the idea, and feel your body carry you there. And this is a way to empty out the obsessions, the concerns, 
the predictions of the future. Uh, train using the body to train the mind, using the body to empty the mind, using the body to really see through the identification internally. I'm here. This is me. Externally, this is this is the world. This is my house. This is that. This is that. The way we generate identities familiarity, territory, uh, what are really arising and vanishing phenomena in this very body is a path to liberation.